We started uh, last, uh, I think, August, uh, walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. This is the 18th message, but I think it's the, la- the last time we were in Luke was, was December the 10th. So uh, we're picking back up, but let me start by asking you a question. Um, is there anybody besides me that just kind of gets sick sometimes of people getting bad news? Is there, is there a lot of bad news in the world, I mean, if we're honest about it? Uh, I mean, if you just look around the world, I mean, there's all kinds of problems. The Middle East is like a powder keg uh, right now. I mean, you know, nationally we have uh, problems, uh, you know, with uh, inflation and crazy politics kind of stuff. Uh, You know, people having all kinds of needs. You know, abortion, we go down the list. I mean, you know, we could talk about local problems. You know that in Hamlin County last weekend, six people died of overdose, uh, six overdose deaths in Hamlin County just last uh, weekend. But, you know, I guess maybe what I'm more thinking of is just people uh, that I know, you know, hearing about people being having whatever kind of sickness or getting a cancer diagnosis or people having deaths in their families or addictions, broken families, you know, people struggling with different things. And, you know, it just seems like, I mean, Robert and I know a lot of people. I mean, we've been in True Life for 21 years. Uh, we've been in four other churches, you know, taking all these mission trips. She works at Carson. I mean, we know thousands of people, and often that's a blessing. Like when she had surgery a few months ago, people were great to us. Uh, you know, when she got the disappointing news this past week that they postponed her second surgery for a couple of weeks. I mean, she had a couple of her students at school who, who really encouraged her. I mean, you know, that often happens, uh, you know, in, in, in the body of Christ. But again, it just seems like sometimes the more people you know, just the more bad stuff that you hear. And I think the reality is that somewhere deep down on the inside of us, we're all looking for, longing for a better day. Right? I mean, we, we, sometimes I think we think and maybe we even voice like, Jesus wants you to just fix this mess. Or maybe the words of the psalmist, how long, O Lord? You know, why does it have to be this way? And, of course, the prosperity gospel is going to say that you can have heaven on earth, but we know that's not biblical. Uh, Of course, in 2024, we're going to be inundated with political speeches and uh, commercials until we want to throw up, and all the politicians are going to tell us that they're the one that's going to fix it. But I hope and think we're too smart to believe all that, right? I hope so. See, really what I think that we're looking for, that we're longing for. Maybe we don't even realize it. Maybe we don't even have this vocabulary for it. But what we're looking for is we're looking for the kingdom of God to come. We're looking for the kingdom of God. Or, or at least what, what the world's going to be like when the kingdom comes in its fullness, when the lion lays down with the lamb and there's peace and harmony and, and joy and, and love and all those things. But the, the problem often is, as Mark Sayers says, the people are looking for the kingdom without the king. And, and you see, people are trying to bring about what only Jesus can bring. Sayers also says that secularism is trying to make progress apart from the presence of God. Um, 
He says that the story of secularism is a story which says that as the world moves away from faith and belief in God, that the world will inevitably become a better place. And that's the narrative we hear in our country now. But how's that working out? So really what I think this world ultimately needs is the kingdom of God manifested, but you can't have the kingdom without the king. And what I want us to see today is that Jesus came and brought the kingdom the first time that he came, that someday he's going to come back and fully manifest his kingdom, and he's going to set everything right. But right now, the kingdom is still here because the kingdom is in us if we're Christians and as part of his church, and that the church of Jesus Christ today is to be a kingdom countercultural kind of reality and example that shows the world a different way, a better way. And so, as we come to the end of Luke chapter 4, here's how I want to approach this text. Now, Jesus, we're going to see in this text, I mean, it, it only mentions the kingdom of God once. It talks about him preaching the kingdom of God. But we're going to see here him exemplifying, him manifesting the kingdom of God. And, and 38 times at least in the, in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible refers here to the kingdom of God. And if you remember back at the beginning of chapter 4, I did a message about the Holy Spirit because I said that Luke emphasizes the Holy Spirit so much. So at some point in Luke, we need to take one message and focus on the, the Holy Spirit in particular. That's really kind of what I'm going to do today with the kingdom of God. It, it focuses on this topic. Jesus focused on it so much that, that I want to take a, a week just to kind of give us an overview kind of give us a grid, so to speak, that we can read the rest of the book uh, through. And, and really, as we, we look at this passage, we're going to see Jesus teaching, we're going to see Jesus casting out demons, and we're going to see Jesus healing. And of course, we're going to see all those things uh, a lot in, in the Gospel of Luke. And you know, we'll look at uh, you know, particular passages that deal with that in great detail. Again, I just kind of want to give us a foundation and a grid to view this through. So, if you've got a Bible, let's start in Luke 4.18, just to review for, it for a minute. So, you know, we've walked through the birth, the infancy narratives uh, of Jesus. Uh, we've seen the, the genealogy and him getting baptized. We've seen him tempted by the devil. And then the, the last time we were in Luke, we saw Jesus going back to his hometown. And we saw him going to the synagogue and then giving him a scroll that ha had Isaiah 61 on it. And he read these words. Some of these words we sang earlier in, in, in the second song, that's our theme song for the book of Luke. But uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4.18, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And if you remember, we talked about how he was reading from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, except he left out one phrase, a phrase talking about this being a day of vengeance, because the first time Jesus came, he came to save. He's coming back a second time for judgment. But then after he read this with that omission, it says, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And if you remember what we said a few weeks ago, basically what Jesus was saying is, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. This is about me. I'm the one who has come to fulfill this. Then in the next few verses, he went on to teach them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And he even gave a couple of examples from the Old Testament that showed God saving Gentiles. They got angry. Remember, they tried to throw him off a cliff. But he says, you know, he passed through them, went his way. And so with that, as a review, let's pick up in verse 31. It says, and as we read these verses, I want you to particularly note a couple of words. Note the words authority and rebuke. Okay? It says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. So, I mean, he was proclaiming to them the Old Testament, teaching them what it really said. Basically, how the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes would teach it. It, it was all just a bunch of religious speculation. They would quote a rabbi who would quote a rabbi who would quote a rabbi. It's like reading a book with a lot of footnotes. Right? You don't want to read a book with a lot of footnotes, right? Some of you do. Like, Rusty, you don't want to read a book with a lot of footnotes, do you? Yeah, yeah. Your wife would. She would read the book with footnotes. You would read the book with pictures. But, uh, I mean, you know, you, you, don't want to hear, you, you don't want to hear a sermon like where I'm quoting 50 different theologians with all these big, you know, 20-letter theological words. That, that's kind of what their teaching was like. But it says, Jesus taught with authority. But it says, now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And and remember James, it says, the demons believe and tremble. They know who Jesus is. Uh, They just won't submit to him. It says, but Jesus rebuked him. An expression of his authority, an expression of his power. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Now, let me just throw this in. If you fast forward to Luke eleven twenty. Jesus says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in other words, what this would be saying, when you see uh, Jesus in the Gospels casting out demons, it's a manifestation of the kingdom of God in their midst. Verse 38, it says, now he arose from the synagogue. And you may want to read the parallel passage in Mark 1. It goes into even more detail. It's kind of like a day in the life of Jesus. And it was a crazy day. He was a busy guy. Uh, now he rose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house, Peter's house. But Peter's wife's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. And remember, Luke was a doctor. 
And, and so, uh, you know, she was apparently pretty sick. And so, so he stood over her, and notice what it says. It says, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. Now, we'll talk about healing as we go through Luke. I believe God still heals people today. God answers prayers. He tells us to pray for the sick. But Jesus had the power just to rebuke sickness and it to go away. And it says, immediately she arose and served them. And there's probably a spiritual picture there. If Jesus has healed you, get up and serve some people for him. It says, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, he didn't always do that. He didn't always heal everybody, but in this case, he is. What's he doing here? He's manifesting the kingdom of God. It says, And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place. If you read Mark 1, you'll see they were looking for him, couldn't find him. He got alone with his father to pray and to spend time alone with him. And really, the rhythm of Jesus' life, that as Christians we ought to try to emulate, he had time alone with his father, and then he went and ministered to people. And then he got alone with his father, and then he ministered to people. And if we're only doing one of those, we're going to be out of balance in our spiritual walk. I mean, if we're just out ministering to people all the time and doing good, trying to help people, but there's no time with the Father, it's going to be on our own, our own strength. We're going to get depleted. We're going to burn out. But, I mean, you know, we, we talked last week about spending time with God and the importance with that, of that. But as important as that is, I mean, if we're spending time with God, He's going to propel us, the Spirit is going to lead us to go serve other people, to go share the gospel, because that's the heart of God, and that's the mission that he left us with. That's how Jesus lived. If we're going to be like Jesus, it's how we're to live. So so he's by himself, says the crowd sought him, came to him, and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, I'm going to give you three phrases that relate to the kingdom of God and the ministry of Jesus here. And again, I want this to be just kind of like a foundation, a grid for us as we walk through the, the rest of the gospel of Luke. But I just want to give you three phrases, actually the title of the message, but it's, it's, a, it's a good way just to remember what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. Pretty simple. The already, the not yet, and the right now. The already, the not yet, and the right now. What we just saw is the already. That Jesus, the King, manifested the kingdom of God as he came teaching and preaching and delivering and and healing and and, and saving people. So a couple things about that. Number one, Jesus, the King, personified, demonstrated, and proclaimed the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what are we talking about? Well, a Bible dictionary defines kingdom as a ruler's sphere of authority. 
a ruler's sphere of authority. Chuck Colson has written that the kingdom of God is a rule, not a realm. It is the declaration of God's absolute sovereignty and of his total order of life in this world and the next. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about, it's not geographic, it, 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 it's sovereign. It's the idea that God is over all, that he, he rules over all, that he reigns, that ultimately he's the one who's in charge of all things. Now, this is very important. Uh, th- this is one of the foundational worldview issues. Do we believe that there is a God who rules and reigns, who has a plan for the world, that, that he is working out, that, that he's in charge, that we're responsible to follow him, to submit to him, to do what he tells us to do, or is there no God and you know we're masters of our own domain and we got to figure it all out and work it all out and we make the world what it's supposed to be? In other words, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Are, are we in charge or are we under the rule of another? Th- that, that's the question. But, but the idea is that the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign, the righteousness of God was manifested on the earth when Jesus came the first time. Why? Because he's the king of kings and the kingdom was here because the king was here. And in passages like we read and in so many passages in the gospel, he's showing that. He's manifesting his authority as king by healing and by teaching with authority and by casting out demons. Some of Jesus' first recorded words, like Matthew 4.17, for example, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is the kingdom at hand? Because the king was here. So that's the already, the fact that the kingdom of God was present when Jesus came the first time. One other thing I'll say about that before I move on is this. We see here, you know, we, I, I, I titled this study in the Gospel of Luke, The Servant King. And we see in this passage that Jesus came with the authority of a king and the heart of a servant. Jesus came with the authority of a king and the heart of a servant. We see him manifesting his authority in teaching God's word. We see him manifesting his authority over the spiritual realm and casting out demons. We see him manifesting his authority in the physical realm by healing people. He's the king. But notice as he came, he came and he used this authority and power not for himself but for the good of others. Peter said in the sermon in Acts chapter 10 that he was anointed by God and he went about doing good. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But, It still begs the question that if Jesus came and brought the kingdom, why are things still so rough on the earth? So that leads to the second phrase, and that's the not yet. The not yet. See, the already is Jesus came and the king manifested the kingdom the first time uh, that he came. But the not yet is that the Bible teaches us that someday he's going to come back and he's going to perfect everything. 
He's going to fully establish the kingdom and manifest both his authority and his goodness on the earth. You see, Jesus, according to himself in Luke 19.10, when he came the first time, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came on a mission of salvation. He came as the suffering servant in mercy the first time. But remember what we talked about. Even as he was reading Isaiah 61 and applying it to himself, he left out that phrase, the day of vengeance. What's the implication? Really, what's the necessity of that? And that means for uh, that to be fulfilled, that the Messiah who Jesus claimed to be, will have to come back a second time for the day of vengeance when he judges the world, when he restores the world to the paradise that God created it to be as he sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns on the earth. You see, if you go farther on the Gospel of Luke, you see even Jesus himself talking about this future manifestation of the kingdom. For example, Luke 22, 16 through 18. He says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it. And, and you know, we're going to celebrate communion in a little while. This is the context is the Last Supper until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Already, not yet. Remember, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. But then he says, I'm not going to drink this with you until the kingdom of God comes. It's already, and it's not yet. Uh, later on in that chapter, in verses 29 and 30, he says, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. It's already and it's not yet. You see, the Bible teaches us, Revelation chapter 19, that Jesus, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is someday bodily, visibly going to return, defeat his enemies, set up his kingdom on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 5.10, it said, we shall reign on the earth. Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And there's verse after verse in the Old Testament that's picturing this as a time when the lion will lay down with the lamb, and they'll beat their swords into plowshares, and that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be worshiped and there's love and joy and peace and harmony on the earth. The kingdom is already and it's not yet. But if that's true, what do we do in the meantime, in the here and now, as we deal with the realities, the often difficult realities of life in this world? And so, let's think about the right now. And this is what I want us to take from this. Because we don't need to just leave the Gospels in the past. You see, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is still saving and healing and delivering. But he's working through his church to do this. 
See, that's a lot of the point of the book of Acts. Jesus came and he did all these things. Then he ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, said you'll do greater things. And as you read the book of Acts, you see him working through the church to accomplish this. You see, uh, if you're a Christian right now, you're in the kingdom of God. You're born again as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God is in you, Luke 17, 21. But in Colossians 1, 13, the Bible says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the king, is in you through his spirit. He's given you and I spiritual gifts. He's anointed and empowered us by the same Holy Spirit who anointed and empowered him to do what he did while he was on the earth. And so it's God's plan to work through uh, the church today uh, to, uh, again, we're not going to bring the kingdom about in all its fullness. It's still not yet. But more and more as we submit to the rule, the reign, the lordship of Jesus Christ, as he works through us, as he empowers and enables us, we're more and more going to make a difference in this world and we're going to bring God's kingdom to bear in this world and see other people come under his rule by submitting to him and and that God's going to use us in in healing and saving and delivering not that we're doing it but he'll do it through us and that is why he's left us here as the church Jesus told us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that ought to be the prayer of every born again child of God that God would use us in making a difference in that way You see, Millard Erickson puts it this way. He says that the kingdom is the rule, the sovereign rule of God, whereas the church is the human community under that rule. Again, the kingdom of God is is, is, a rule. it's, it's, It's God reigning over all. It's not people in and of itself. It's not geographic in and of itself. But the church is the people who are a part of that kingdom. Tim Keller wrote this. He says, The church is a pilot plant of the kingdom of God. It is not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. According to 1 Peter 2.9, it is a royal nation. In other words, a counterculture. The church is to be a new society in which the world can see what family dynamics, business practices, race relations, and all of life can be like under the kingship of Jesus Christ. God is out to heal all the effects of sin, psychological, social, and physical. And again, when Jesus comes back in the not yet, he's going to completely do that. But he just doesn't want us to sit back whining about how bad everything is in the world, hoping that things might get better. He wants to use us to make a difference in as many people's lives as possible until Jesus does come back. That's why we're here. This is a lot of the purpose, the point of our lives. If you're young, if you're high school or a college student and you're trying to figure out your future, you're a Christian, I mean, I don't know exactly what God wants you to do with your life, but I know this, I know whatever vocation he gives you, you're called to use it for the kingdom of God. I mean, that's our purpose. I mean, he can fill in uh, the details, but that's, oh, I mean, in any realm, sphere of life, we're to bring the kingdom of God into that sphere. 
and how we live our lives and Christ living through us. That's what we're called to do. And so how does God do this through the church? Well, I want to show you three ways that I think are kind of a reflection of the ministry we saw of Jesus in this passage. Remember, he was preaching the kingdom of God with authority. He was manifesting authority over the spiritual realm and casting out demons. And he was manifesting authority, doing good in the physical realm, in healing people. So, how does the church do this first? And understand that to live in the kingdom, in the words of the title of the Chuck Colson book, there's kingdoms in conflict. God's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, are going to be in a battle until Jesus comes back. See, Jesus won the victory on the cross, but Satan is a defeated foe still fighting a guerrilla war to try against God's people to try to overcome. And, and you read the book of Revelation, the end, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to defeat his enemies. Satan's going to be bound. The kingdom is going to be established on the earth. But until then, we're in a battle. Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, we, Christians talk a lot about a culture war. I don't think we're in a culture war. I think we're in a cosmic war. C.S. Lewis says there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And that's the battle until Jesus comes back. So we're doing battle against the kingdom of darkness. That means that we can't fight with fleshly weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We fight with prayer. We fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. We fight by putting on the armor of God. And if we don't do those things, we're not going to do very well in the battle. Second, the church participates in God's rescue mission of the world through the gospel. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. Talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. But you know what Jesus said before that? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The authority that he manifested that we read about in this passage, as we go with the gospel, with the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ, that's when the authority, the power of Jesus Christ is going to be working in us and through us only when we're doing what he wants us to do. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples of all the nations. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, in heaven, there's going to be people of every tribe and people and tongue and nation worshiping the Lamb of God around the throne of God. This is God's ultimate purpose, but the means to that end is God saving His chosen through the proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit by the church. And as much as he's ordained the end of people in his kingdom worshiping him in this way, he's ordained the means to get there, which is us. This is what the church is called to do. But third, the church is to be a picture of the coming kingdom. In other words, well, John Calvin put it this way, the task of the church 
is to make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. We do that by living in such a way where we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, in our finances, and how we treat others because Jesus is king over every area of life. We're here to serve as many people as we can, to do as much good as we can, and this is how the church has made a difference down through the centuries. You see, if, if when the kingdom comes in its fullness, there's going to be peace and joy and love and harmony and unity and all these kind of things. For the world to believe the message that Jesus is king, aren't they probably going to need to see those kind of things in the lives of Christians and in the ministry of churches? I, I mean... We say Jesus is coming and he's going to bring harmony, but we can't get along with anybody. How's that going to go over? I mean, we say Jesus is love. You need him, but we're hateful all the time. What kind of witness is that going to be? But again, a lot of people think the church is outdated, uh, irrelevant, unneeded. Some people even think the church is evil. But the reality is the church has in many ways shaped the world by living out the kingdom down through the centuries. Barney Zwartz has said this, In a post-Christian culture in which some suggest Christians' influence has been minimal or malign, I argue strongly that Christianity has overwhelmingly been a force for good in every century for nearly 2,000 years. The modern West could not function as it does in its understanding of human dignity, rights, democracy, politics, the rule of law, health, hospitals, welfare, charity, education, science, language, arts, architecture, capitalism, vocation, morals or social justice without the profound contribution of Christian thinkers and activists. And that's true. You can read uh, Rodney Stark, read Dean James Kennedy's book, What If Jesus Has Never Been Born? All those things, historical facts. In fact, in his book, Don't Hold Back, David Platt quotes a sociologist by the name of Robert Woodbury who's researched specifically the effect Christian missionaries have had on the health of other nations. And Woodbury says this. He says that the work of missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. Here's a summary of what he discovered in his sociological research. He says areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. Why? Because the church, down through the centuries, has manifested the kingdom of God. And that's what we're called to do. Listen, it's already Jesus brought it the first time. It's not yet. He's coming again to bring it in his fullness. But in the right now, are we going to be kingdom people living under the authority, the lordship of Christ, displaying him to the people around us? Let me close by giving you three applications of this. Number one, what do we do with this? First of all, some of you need to trust 
and submit to Jesus as Lord and King. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that the king would leave heaven and come to serve us. The king would leave heaven and come to sacrifice himself for us. That Jesus came and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And if we'll turn from our sin and our self-will and turn to him and trust him, he'll forgive us and change us and make us a citizen of his kingdom, make us a a, a child of God. But the question is, are we going to, do we want to try to run our own lives, do our own thing, have it our own way? Are we willing to acknowledge him as king and surrender to him? A couple years or so ago, I went out to Washington and preached for David Robinson at Axe Church. Some of you remember David, used to be a true life. And um, I guess the day before, I was having a conversation was with him and some of his uh, elders. And um, one of his elders was talking about uh, witnessing to a guy that week. And he walked through the gospel, and ultimately the guy said, you know, no. And he said, and his reason was, ultimately, I don't want to submit to some kind of higher power. And for a lot of people, I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, you may believe in Jesus. You may believe this is true, that he came, that he died. Are you willing to submit to him? And I just challenge you to submit to him, surrender to him, trust him, give him your life today. Second, if you've done that, we're called to live daily under the kingship of Christ. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. He said, Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? To daily surrender to him, to invest our lives in serving God and making a difference in the world. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Listen, if the kingdom of God is ultimately what's going to last and all that is going to last, why would we invest our lives in anything else? Because if we invest our lives in anything else, we're investing our lives in something that's fleeting. If we invest our lives in the kingdom of God, we're investing in something that's permanent. Bob Roberts Jr. said, the kingdom of God is a radical message meant to be lived out in radical lives, which historically and culturally have radical results. And then last, you know, as we get bad news sometimes, as we look at the world around us and concerned about where it's headed now or for our kids and grandkids, and we ask the question, where's the hope? I want to remind us that ultimately our hope is in the kingdom of God. Chuck Colson ends his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, this way. He says, where then is hope? It is in the fact that the kingdom of God has come to earth. The kingdom announced by Jesus Christ in that obscure Nazareth synagogue 2,000 years ago. It is a kingdom that comes not in a temporary takeover of political structures, but in the lasting takeover of the human heart by the rule of a holy God. Thus, in the midst of the dark and habitual chaos of earth, a light penetrates the darkness. It cannot be extinguished. It is the light of the kingdom of God. His kingdom has come, is in his people today, 
and, is, and it is yet to come as well in the great consummation of human history. While the battle rages on planet earth, we can take heart not in the fleeting fortunes of men or nations, but rather in the promise of the book of Revelation that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Listen, for in that glorious refrain is man's one hope. Let's pray. Let's bow together.